Hi, I'm Yolanda Brown and a warm welcome to LPO Offstage, the podcast that takes you to the centre of the action with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. And we're really getting to the centre of the action today as I'm joined by Artistic Director Christina Rocker and President of the LPO, Martin Hermann. Christina, as Artistic Director, what does your job entail? It's one of the best jobs in the world, I think. It entails putting together the programmes and the artists in the best possible way to have the most successful season. And Martin, as the LPO president, what does that title entail? I'm basically the most senior representative of, of all the musicians in, in the orchestra. So we, we have a, a player committee, which I chair, which also is part of the board. And mainly I... I look after all the appointments that we make within the orchestra, the whole procedure of of finding new members of the orchestra and everything else that affects players in an everyday life. But my main job is actually to play the violin in the orchestra and that takes up quite (laughs) quite a bit of time too. Now, this podcast is taking a look at the big picture and asking how you get programmes together. Is it science? Is it art? Is there a kind of magic involved? So, Christina, where does it all begin for you when programming? There's always a lot of magic, I guess. And and (laughs) it's always a daunting prospect each time. Basically, there are 30 to 32 programmes at the Royal Festival Hall, plus, of course, the residencies around the country. The first thing is that we need to put in the dates, the best possible dates, and including, you know, touring, the residencies, any special project that we may be asked to perform. Sure. Then we go to the title conductors. And in the coming season, we will have three, for instance. So we need to put their dates in first thing, because of course they have priority. And then we have to look at anyone else who is part of the LPO family. And there are, there's a number of conductors that we always want to have, you know, almost regularly, almost every season back. And then, of course, we need to have a good number of new faces, new names that we want to introduce to the orchestra and, of course, the, the audience. And sometimes... It's complicated. You know, each season is different. Sometimes conductors come first. Sometimes if there's a very special soloist that we really want to have, we start from, you know, the soloist. And then we have to think, okay, who is the best conductor for this very special, you know, guest artist? Yes. And so it's, it, it varies a lot. Martin, you said, you know, you're playing within the orchestra as well. You may get a little bit of a head start on what everybody else gets to know about the season. But do musicians lobby you within the orchestra to say, oh, could you suggest this to Christina? (laughs) What's the culture like within the orchestra when it comes to planning and programming? Well, as you can imagine, everyone has an opinion and, and that's very good uh, like that and because they should feel that they can express uh, themselves. And of course, among 60 to 80 players on stage, you will never really find a season that is to everyone's taste. But um, they do know that they can come and communicate uh, choices of their own. And we quite fairly recently established a, um, an artistic advisory group, which is a group of uh, five players spread around the orchestra 
which should uh, meet regularly with the artistic director and to, to just feedback oh. on on repertoire choices, on uh, choices of conductors and soloists, and just to have a discussion. Well, it's necessary for me as well, because obviously they have the perspective of being on stage and they are the ones who have to create the music. Yes. I'm the one sitting and enjoying it at the end of the day. So <laughs> it's really important that I know how they feel, what they think, you know. And what about the firm favourites? I'll start with you first, Martin. I mean, within the orchestra, are there firm favourites that the, the orchestra want to play within every season and want to see? The the problem that we're facing at the moment is that a lot of the firm favourites are getting too old to travel and to come to London. And they also, even if they are still conducting, they are very, very selective with what projects they do. And for a lot of them, it is not really the time in their life anymore to create a new partnership with the yes. LPO, for instance. So what we've really been trying to do um, more recently is to establish the relationships of the future and really to look for for the next generation of, you know, the now between 30 and 50 year old conductors who are going to be the most sought after in the next generation, really. And what about repertoire then specifically? Is there sort of repertoire that you know has to be within the season every year for the audience, but also for the musicians? Not like that, but there must be a balance between well-known repertoire and, you know, some more challenging works, some new works, some works that haven't been performed. You know, you cannot repeat always the same works, obviously. There needs to be variety. Yes. And then you, you need to consider how long it takes to prepare a certain program. Sometimes you can have more rehearsals, but not always. Yeah. It's not only for financial reasons, but it's also because there isn't the physical time to add rehearsals sometimes. But there are certain composers you want to have maybe one or two Mahler symphonies in each season. Uh -huh. You want to have maybe one Tchaikovsky symphony. <laughs> There's no real rule, but unless you make a feature of it, you know, which is very possible, you don't want to have too much Stravinsky or too much Rachmaninoff, too much of this, too much of that. Martin, what's some of the feedback that you've found that you've had to give Christina on behalf of the orchestra? Is there any sort of feedback that you've found? Well, this is going to be quite hard to tell, but it's really important that I share it. I think it's never really hard to share any feedback because Christina is is very very collaborative artistic director and she really wants to know what the musicians think. There are certain elements that to make Christina's job even harder rather than uh, thinking about the artistic is that the way the London orchestras are set up the musicians are only paid for when they actually play. So Repertoire choices and the choices of orchestrations have a huge impact on everyone's earnings. I'm thinking particularly about percussionists and uh, uh, heavy brass, trombones, tuba, harp. Those are the instruments that might not feature in all the repertoire. And I remember when, when the late uh, maestro Kurt Mazur was doing one of his favorite and 
you know, most successful things is like a, a whole Beethoven cycle, a symphony cycle. Of course, it was great for the orchestra and it, and we toured it and, and it was a fantastic time for whoever was on. But there was a big part of the orchestra that wasn't involved in those. I think there were five or six concerts to do all the Beethoven symphonies. So those are difficult choices to make as an artistic director to balance the necessities of the individual musicians versus the artistic choices that you have to make to raise and keep the profile of the orchestra. But I, I think it is maybe a little easier now than with someone like Kurt Mazur, for instance, because all the younger conductors, and, and, and in particular Vladimir Yurovsky, has had so much more desire to delve into the unknown. And so so the last 10, 15 years have been really quite an extraordinary time for the orchestra and that we've discovered mm. so many works that we probably would have never played with anyone else other than Vladimir. <laughs> wow. But that's great for the audience as well, because what has happened is that because the orchestra has played with such conviction and so well this repertoire, then they are able to take the audience on yes. on a journey with them and so and that is that's the whole point to create that kind of bond and trust so that okay i've never heard of this guy this composer but i'm going to sit here i'm going to get a ticket and i'm going to see what it's like because i'm sure that the orchestra would never put on yes. anyone who isn't worth it I think it's often been surprising to us musicians as well when we, of course, these sort of comments go on behind the scenes. We're rehearsing for two or three days for a very strange program. Uh, maybe uh, half of the composers in the program, nobody's heard before, no, even nice. in the orchestra. And we don't necessarily feel that maybe the music is is worth playing. Although I have to also remind myself often that until you actually do the performance with an audience and you don't know yes. because rehearsing is one thing then playing in front of an audience that might actually react to it in in a completely different way because they are just there to listen rather than to perform is always so it's always important to wait for the performance before you judge anything but often we we would think oh nobody's going to come to this and then actually when we, we get to the concert and particularly in london where We've built this connection, as Christina said, with with audiences that will just come because it is the LPO and uh, and wow. and Vladimir or Ed or then it is is really the point where you can go on this journey with with your audience together, mm -hmm. not just the orchestra but the audience as well. Sometimes I do write to my colleague in marketing asking, "Is this too hard to sell? Uh -huh. You know, are people going to come?" Because when you think about it, is at least three days of work, of intense work for the orchestra. And even without thinking of the box office, which is in any case always at the back of the mind, <laughs> you, you don't want to have them work hard and then have 50 or 60% yes. of the whole. You yes. always want to have a really good full house. Yeah. And now that, you know, you've been doing a lot of more live streams, has that been a different process, first of all, Christina, for you? Well, first of all, what, probably, you know, people don't realize is that when you stream, you also have to pay for rights that you don't have to pay when you just perform it for an audience. So that also has to come into consideration. Yeah. There's more, you know, negotiation going on and you, you need to factor in that extra cost. Mm. And then at the same time, I have to say that 
it was like last week or 10 days ago, I don't know, it's going so fast. We, we finally had a slightly larger orchestra for Brahms' first piano concerto, for instance. And it was such a thrill to be there and listen to this, you know, big sound, much bigger sound that, you know, we were used to with smaller repertoire. And the thrill of the life, there's nothing else that can can match that. It's comforting that, isn't it? It's yes. nice to know that we will get back to that yes. full sound, full experience, yeah. and that this was just a stopgap, really. <laughs> Another piece of the puzzle we haven't added to the mix is touring. How much do you have to liaise with other venues in the different countries? Because also they'd have their own themes and things that they want you to perform. How much of that gets involved? Well, luckily, the LPO is really well known <laughs> internationally. So it's not one of the orchestras where you, I don't want to say that they, you know, that we can do whatever we want because that is not right. Mm. But there's a lot of mileage, you know. It's an important orchestra. We always tour with important artists. So we can say, you know, this is what we can offer. And usually it is a yes. The problem is how to prepare everything between London, the residencies, the touring. I think you get through so much repertoire, Martin, like... I've never seen before. <laughs> Isn't that right? The ideal scenario is that you rehearse a program and then you go on tour. And then upon your return, you do a concert at the festival hall, which has been basically played on tour six, seven, eight times. And so you can be really at your best. But that never happens. No. <laughs> I was going to say that is a dream life. So, so why, what you, why doesn't that happen? Well, Martin? because, because the, you know, the, all the venues, for instance, going to Germany, one of our most important touring countries, we probably go there in normal times twice a year, at least once for, for a major tour. So that could be anything up to eight venues, sometimes 10 in Europe and predominantly Germany that all have to line up their dates with each other. And if you want to then also have to have it line up with our festival hall concerts, it's almost impossible. Yeah. And um, similar for the for the repertoire as well, because often in Germany, I know that we can probably propose many things and it will be taken. But on the whole, our touring programs tend to be a lot more conservative right. than what we do in London. So often, whatever we want to do on tour isn't really that interesting for the Royal Festival Hall season. We wanted to have a little bit more of a twist, some sort of contemporary piece or a concerto with a soloist that then doesn't go on tour. You know, you have to fit in existing seasons. So you have to be flexible a bit because if they say, well, we've already got the symphony with our orchestra or with another guest orchestra, so you've got to change. You know, there are lots of considerations. Yeah, absolutely. And how much does cost, budget and logistics affect what you can do? Too much. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> no, it's not... It, you have to be careful. If you overspend on something, then you have to be a bit cautious on something else. It's always balancing. Yeah. That, to me, is always the key word for everything. The orchestra is really well run financially. And so it's 
even this year, it's been tough, but it's going to be okay. And then you also have some wonderful supporters. Sometimes, you know, you think, okay, I really want to do this very special project. Can I find somebody who's going to support it? Yes. It can be an individual, it can be a corporation, it can be a foundation sometimes. There are ways to make special things happen, but not too many times, not too many times in the same season, maybe. Do you have to think about, or can you even allow yourself to think about the individuals? Like how many times have I used harp in this season? How many times do we need the full percussion outfit? Mm -hmm. Or do you try not to? I mean, it's quite an emotional question. Not quite in that detail, I would say. I do take a look, for instance, when there are new works, whether, you know, if they require quadruple woodwind or, you know, six or seven percussion, you know, when I know that, you know, in that case, I need to take a look at the budget yeah, because that is really crucial. But on the whole, as long as we don't play Baroque repertoire, there might be one piece, but then the rest of the program will be balanced. So that is a little too detailed, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Interesting to know. And Martin, just speaking to the amazing members of the orchestra, I can tell it's a family. I can tell, you know, that you're all so talented and can just play things. We we were recently speaking about film music and that you have to turn up and just play. How much sometimes when you look at the programme, can you see the commercial influences or maybe it's, you know, been supported by a certain donor? Do you see those kind of things come up in the programme or does it always feel quite creative? I always think it feels rather creative than commercially driven. And actually, from a player's perspective, completely player's perspective, the commercially driven way wouldn't be, I wouldn't um, object to that because that means that I know the pieces uh, that, that I will be playing. Um, so so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about that at all. I mean, from knowing the orchestra and knowing our particularly adventurous profile, I would be more worried if that element wasn't there actually than put my <laughs> my own comfort first. Going back to the sort of favorite pieces, I think we need to also look after the tradition. We can't, for instance, not play the Mahler symphonies. I'm certainly um, also a fan of Bruckner, which doesn't really sell very well in London, apparently, and which is why we don't really play that often. But I, I think there are certain ways of playing this music that needs to be carried forward when younger players join. I think that it's very, very important that we keep those traditions and the feel for the style. If you leave it too long, it will not be good for the orchestra in, in terms you of lose the heritage. Playing, yeah. yes. And what's the expectation of the LPO audience? I think by now, the LPO audience is going to expect to see something that they don't know already in the season. Not every concert, obviously, but uh, that there will be a certain amount of adventure in a season. If that wasn't there, I think we, not not that anybody would complain, but I think we would, we would kind of lose that special message. I agree. There's an openness in the audience, which is a wonderful quality 
And you can see that there really is a passion for education and sharing and growth within the LPO and the repertoire as we see it coming through. How important is it for you also to find new audiences and also educate the younger generation that are your future audience? Yeah, I was just about to say, actually, that um, what we've found was that uh, a younger audience is really not scared of anything. And often when I see sometimes we in discussions or with many of our partners, we, we sort of ask the question, so maybe maybe we need to create a particular season or series of concerts for for the first time concert goer and and what should yeah. what should be in there. And I'm I'm not sure that that's necessary really because I, I think I think someone who's who's young and wants to just go to a concert isn't going to judge any of the music that's on the program. They're going to be very open-minded. And I think that's what we what we found. Is this something you've considered, Christina? First of all, we're always looking for new audiences. And at the same time, the, the orchestra has a wonderful education department and some great education projects with young musicians, with schools, and we get artists collaborating as well and really yeah. wanting to go into schools, into communities to work with children, with youngsters. So the hope is that if they really enjoy that experience, then they will come, you know, eventually to the, the concert hall and, and enjoy uh, a concert. And Martin, is there a place for that more difficult and challenging repertoire? Almost like a public service, you're stretching the audience and stretching what is possible, budget and logistics and box office aside. (laughs) Is there a place for that more challenging repertoire? I think we have had um, certain festivals that that happen, for instance, in smaller venues away from the Royal Festival Hall, which is often too large for the sort of adventurous festival uh, around Schnitke, um, that, that mm. I think it might have been 2009 or 10, uh, that we, we had at uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall it was really, really interesting. I, I, I can't remember how many people actually came, but the ones <laughs> that came to listen to music by Schnitke were, were certainly really fans who, who had waited a long time to be hearing some of his pieces played live. One of our members of the concerts department was playing uh, on a comb with paper, I think. It is always quite fun to do that thing, but I think from a financial point of view, it's a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and Christina, do you think there is a place for it, though, still stretching the imagination? Yes. Oh, always. Even at the Royal Festival Hall, because I think it's every two years, there's a, a wonderful initiative of the South Bank. It's called Sound State Festival. So next year, for instance, there's a, a program which um, Edward Gardner will conduct. And I think there are four works on the program. All four are UK premieres. Wow. So there must be space, of course. The, the question is how many times? Yes. And that is the real <laughs> the, the key question. And, you know, England is open more than other countries to this kind of initiatives, I think. Does the LPO's specific orchestral sound suit certain types of music or uh, music of a particular period that you always look to make sure are the foundations for your programme? I think actually the one of the great qualities is to be flexible and to adapt and find the right sound for each repertoire. It's also a great quality to adapt to whoever is on the podium because you know, that's the, the beauty of having different conductors as well yeah. to 
put a stamp on their programs and to make sure that you do recognize sometimes the conductor, but you do recognize the orchestra. Yes. It's a mix, really. To me, that is the idea. You listen to the radio, for instance, and you, you say, I think I know who's playing. And that is, you know, what you're aiming for, I think. Yeah. I agree uh, with that. I think there's a certain culture of playing a certain sound that makes the LPO. It's it's a mix of the overall sound and then the certain individuals that you, you might recognize, particularly thinking about woodwind and brass players. The leader, uh, for instance, has a very particular sound as well. You might recognize that. But I, I really think the strength of the LPO lies in being able to accompany a Mozart opera at Gleimborn just as well as playing uh, a Shostakovich symphony in a musically credible way. I mean, without saying any names, for instance, certain German orchestras, I think they always sound the same. It doesn't matter uh-huh. whether they play Russian music or whether they're playing, they're playing Schubert. And I, I think it is what these orchestras actually look for. And some of them are really really steeped in, in in rich history and tradition. And I think there's, I'm, I'm not judging at all, there's a lot of importance in keeping those traditions alive. But then if you want to listen mm. to a Shostakovich symphony, there might not necessarily be the one orchestra that you want to listen to if you want to have an authentic kind of close to what what Soviet times would have would have been sounded like when, when if, if you were there at the time when Shostakovich yeah, was conducting. Definitely. So it's up to the orchestra to define what they want in that respect. And I think the LPL's strength really is with making visions happen that a particular conductor has. We're living in a time now where diversity, inclusion are the buzzwords of our time and and too right. How much does that play then when you're looking at your programming? Are you thinking about sort of female composers? Are you thinking about the different elements of diversity, how you can stretch the program? Is that something that you have to also pay attention to? Yes, it is important, especially, I would say, for the past, I don't know how many years, but yes, more and more. It's not always easy. Mm. For me, the, the number one is it has to be of the highest quality, whatever it is, whether it's a guest artist, whether it's a piece of music, whatever it is, it has to be excellence is the, the defining feature. But once you've established that <laughs> quality is there, excellence is there, then of course you have to try to be as as balanced and and as equal as possible yeah yes are there any other factors we've i've been trying to put this jigsaw puzzle together and it's a very big one it feels like a, a thousand pieces, pieces. Yes. It's like a <laughs> thousand piece jigsaw puzzle of everything that you have to consider is there anything else that is a factor when you're coming to decide the program and maybe if you could share any experiences of when it's gone well or when it hasn't quite gone so well there were certainly projects where I feel that the judgment, not necessarily uh, by anyone 
in the LPO, but certainly by some conductors have been on, on repertoire choices of contemporary music, for instance, have been rather questionable without saying yeah. any names. And, and From the musician's yeah, well, side, the musicians are thinking... Well, you, think, you think, well, what, who picked this or who put, picked this composer? <laughs> and, 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 and now we're... And, and you also, I mean, the, the, the musicians understand enough about how much everything costs. And so, so you, you sit there and it's the three-day rehearsal um, extravaganza with a huge orchestra and the music is really just not living up to it at all and you might even go on tour with it and you think well is it really worth all this effort and all this all this money and uh, it does happen sometimes but it is part of the creative process I mean we can if we were playing it that safe all the time we wouldn't be doing any of these projects yeah. so I think it's really important that you just keep finding the gold nuggets and and there's a few stones on the way too. <laughs> and I guess, you know, how much of this also comes down to personal taste? Because Christina, you do have a lot of the power when it comes to what goes into the diary ultimately. Do you sometimes have to stretch your imagination and stretch your taste? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Even when I don't want to, but yes, yeah. you know, circumstances <laughs> dictate that. And it's good. I try to think, well, I'm not doing it for myself. You know, I'm doing it for the audience, really. I'm yeah. not even doing it for the musicians. Is because without an audience, there wouldn't be an orchestra on stage. So if the audience doesn't come or we cannot persuade them to come, then I better do something different. I love that. That has summed up the whole job for me. That is really, <laughs> really brilliant. <laughs> Thank you both so much for sharing. Thank, Thank you, you Yolanda. Thanks. That's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Christina Rocker and Martin Hurman for sharing their experiences with us. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. And thanks again for listening. Listening.